Hi, my name is Dr. Andrew Hahn, and I want to welcome you to the seventh episode of our podcast, Guided Self-Healing, Fearless Living. And this episode is about, is a continuation of the sixth episode, which is about patterns, which are deep universal themes. And in this episode, what we're going to do is we're going to review what patterns are and then what the categories are and uh, the patterns we described last time, which are called signal center patterns. And we're then going to go on to what we call major energetic patterns, which are profoundly important for our healing and our growth. So again, so what are patterns? And as I said before, patterns are deep universal themes uh, that affect our healing. And we said in our last episode that there are three categories of these patterns, what we call single center patterns, what we call major energetic patterns, and what we call identity patterns. And if you heard our last episode, uh, I'm going to just review for you. Uh, why we care about patterns is that they hold many, many uh, different experiences often so that what we think is the problem may not be the problem, but it may be a symptom of a deeper problem. And if we can find out what that deeper intention is, what that deeper problem is, we may be able to transform many seemingly unrelated things all at once, which is, of course, a great thing to be able to do. So that's it. And last time, if you recall, we talked about what we called single center patterns, which are traumas that affect the head, which is about beliefs, the heart, which is about emotions, uh, and the belly, which is about boundaries. And just to recall, we had said that our hope with the head center, which is about beliefs, is that what we believe is in alignment with what we know on a deeper level. And we can have our belief with discernment and uh, compassion and understanding and being engaged from that belief uh, in a way that's in alignment with life. That's what happens when we're aligned. And of course, when there's a trauma to the head center, what we believe is not in alignment with what we know. And we are judgmental about the belief. So let's again look at this. And I think I gave the example of, let's suppose I said, I believe I'm unworthy of love. And then of course we say, well, I know on a deeper level that everybody is worthy of love, but I don't believe that I am. And because of that, I feel ashamed of myself, or I feel anxious, or I feel judgmental, or I feel comparative to other people, or I can't understand how this could have happened to me, or any of these things. So what we want to do is we want to work with that belief. And if we're doing that, the way to do that is not to transform the belief, which I'm going to tell you, because there are ways to transform the beliefs when the beliefs are brought in to protect you from something worse. But if your beliefs come out of trauma, it's not to transform the belief, it's to transform the judgmentalism. And I'll tell you why. If I say to you, I'm unworthy of love, and you say, oh, come on, Andy, you're worthy of love, everybody's worthy of love. Now I got two problems. The first problem is, I still believe I'm unworthy of love. If you tell me you like, you know, 
you know, uh, uh, not to believe what I believe, then you're asking me to lie to myself um, because I believe it. If I, and having you tell me not to believe it may not help me one iota. In fact, now I have the problem also of trying to say to you, you know, um, I can't even trust my own reality because this is what's true for me. And you're telling me that I'm lying to myself. So what we wanna do is we want to go to a place where instead of denying the belief, what we do is we transform our judgment about the beliefs and we say, even though I believe something, in this case, I'm unworthy of love, nonetheless, I deeply and profoundly love, accept and respect myself. That is what we can do for any kind of belief. So if you wanna work with this, find a belief that you have judgment about Find the sensations in the body that you associate with that belief you have judgment about. Bring all your attention there and let it share its story about why, in this case, it, whoever it is, believes they're unworthy of love. And then if you wanna help them more than just hearing their story, you're gonna do a practice where you uh, affirm it and you say, even though I believe I'm unworthy of love, I deeply and profoundly love, accept and respect myself. And you can do that, you can make that even better if while you're saying that, you can tap in a half moon around your ears, which you won't be able to see unless you're watching this as a video, but you can tap in a half moon around your ears and you can move your eyes in an infinity loop. And what that does is it opens you to a new experience that's tapping around the ears and it fires everywhere in your brain, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic, real and imaginal. So you're opening up to this new reality, which is that even though I believe something, I can love, accept, and respect myself. Then we go to the heart. And as we said before, the heart is about feelings and emotions. So when my heart is aligned, I'm feeling whatever it is that I'm feeling in the current moment, and I'm a choice about expression. It's not that I'm reliving an echo of something else and I put someone else's head uh, on the person I'm with, but I just see them for who they are and I have whatever experience I'm having in the present moment. So, <clears throat> I get to feel it and I'm a choice about expression. What do I mean by that? Let's suppose I did something that made you angry in the present moment, like you're saying, you know, uh, whatever you're saying about me right now and I'm making you upset. Uh, you could be aware that you're angry at me, that it is really in the here and now and not that I'm catalyzing or triggering something else. And you can be a choice. So if you're my student, you might say, you know, I'm not going to interrupt what's going on right now. I'll wait till later. Or you might say, it's really important to do this because uh, it might serve myself and everybody else. But you'll be able to be discerning about what to do here, right? So let's suppose our hearts are traumatized. It means one of three things happens. Either we deny the feeling, right? So let's we're saying with anger again, we deny the feeling, at which point we say anger. I, anger doesn't exist in my vocabulary because we have the trauma around it. 
or we transform it into something else and we might laugh uh, or we might cry and say, I'm sad, but really what would be being would be anger, but the anger is unacceptable. Or we would displace it and not know that you're angry at me, but go home and uh, yell at your animal or yell at your child or something because it's not okay to be angry at me, but it may be okay to be angry at somebody else who has less power. So, we want to be able to clearly work with that so that uh, you can have your feeling be at its, in its appropriate place at the appropriate person and not a reaction or a reliving of something else. And then the third center, the belly center, is about boundaries. And as we said before, boundaries are about being master of your own ship. It's about being able to choose what goes in and what comes out. And when your boundaries are what we call permeable, right? Then you get to choose what comes in and what goes out, whether it's about boundaries in general or boundaries around a particular person or people or boundaries around a content like money or ESP or whatever it would be that, or experiencing other people's pain you get to choose what comes in and what goes out. And the problem is when our boundaries are traumatized, one or both of two things happens. They're either too rigid or they're too porous. Or to put it differently, we let in too much, we don't let in enough, we let out too much, or we don't let out enough around whatever it is. Um, and I think what we had talked about was therapeutic boundaries for those of us who are therapists, right? So. If we let in too much, it's called burnout, right? Because we take on other people's problems. We let them in and we can't stop it and we get burnt out. And if we let out, it's if we let in too much. If we don't let in enough, it means we won't let somebody touch us. You know, we won't be able to be compassionate and empathic. We won't let them, we'll stay back and removed and just observing them, right? If we let out too much, what that means is we're gonna use our clients in some way. If we're therapists, we let out too much. The simple version of that would be if someone said, you think you've got a problem. Boy, do I have a problem. You start talking about yourself. The more uh, perhaps insidious is when you use them, your clients for your own gratification, whether it is for you know sleeping with clients or uh, not helping them, but continuing to say you can so you can keep your practice high and take money from them or whatever it is, right? It's like uh, uh, you are using them for your own needs and not to be there of service. If you don't let out enough, it means that when someone really needs you to reach out to them, something horrific happens, right? And you just uh, won't reach out to them in some way and really give them the sense that you're here with them. Okay, so that's the three centers. So we're gonna stop with that, that's where we were. And now we're gonna to go to these universal patterns or universal themes that affect all the centers. And they come in two realms. 
they're called the material realms, which are patterns we can experience through our five senses, like somebody hit me or kicked me or killed me or did whatever, or they come in the non-material realms, however you want to understand those stories. And those stories are stories of uh, events or phenomena that aren't in normative Western reality, but nonetheless uh, are very useful in healing. And when we get to those, which we will in a couple of weeks, we're going to start talking about why that's so. So we're gonna start, there are a number of these universal patterns are the kinds of themes that you find in myths. And let's just start talking about a few of them today. And what I'd invite you to do is see if they resonate with you. And if they resonate with you, you might wanna just notice what happens in the body if you wanna sit with them and we'll go from there. So the first patterns are called splits or multiples. And Splits or multiples means like it'd be like if we were uh, if we were a whole and integrated, we would be whole. We would be our fields would be whole and it would, they would be integrated. But if we have a trauma to our field, one of a few things happens. The first thing is we could have the experience of not being all here, which could be a split. So it's like a part of us is missing, or more often it might be that we are divided in some way. So, uh, and the only difference between a split and a multiple is, is it the division is two things or is it more than two things? It's like you're going along a hole and then you break into two pieces or do you break into more than two pieces? That's the only difference. Well, what do I mean by this? Let's say our thoughts are disconnected from our feelings. So we're, it's like we're split at the head, right? It's like our head is cut off from our hearts. That would be a split. So you might not let yourself feel your feelings. Uh, you might think about them, but not let yourself feel them would be an example. Or when you're feeling your feelings, you might not be able to think at all and be discerning. That would be another example. Or you could have a left-right split, at which point the assertive aspects of you might be cut off from the receptive aspects of you. You might have to like... Uh, be pushy or aggressive or something. Um, or on the other side, you might be very passive. Um, or if they're split and you're bouncing back and forth, you might be passive aggressive. And of course, when you heal a split, what happens is that you get to be actively receptive and actively assertive and that they're held in that way. It's often thought of as being the masculine and the feminine, but you could say that even the masculine and the feminine are manifestations, material manifestations of uh, assertive and receptive energies. If we think of the biology of that, for example. So splits or a split could be that your sexuality is cut off from your emotions. I mean, there's so many different ways you can be split. And so when you're aware of that, if you say, oh yeah, my, my head is cut off from my heart my thoughts are cut off from my feelings or, um, you know, my head could be cut off from my body, at which point it feels like I'm just head, but I have no energy. Or, you know, my emotions are cut off from my sexuality or my capacity to be actively assertive. I can't receive you if I'm asserting something. And if I'm receiving you, I can't assert something. Well, what I want to invite you to do then is just let yourself notice what's happening in the body when you allow 
this sense of split, like I'm not all here or one part of me is split off from another part of me. Notice what happens to the body again. Bring your attention to the sensation that's associated with the split, so much so that you become that sensation from the inside out. And then we're just gonna say to that sensation, what have you come to share about the split, whatever it is, where are you beginning, what's happening? And you just tune in and worlds open up. So that splits and multiples. The next pattern I wanna talk about is neglect trauma. And neglect, <clears throat> of course, uh, healed neglect trauma is the sense of like, uh, when I need someone, I can kind of count on them being there. And if they're not there, I can certainly say I can care for myself, but not in a way that shuts off from my feelings. It just says that I can be there within for myself. But when you're traumatized around this, what happens is that you come with a very deeply held experience, which is something like, when I needed you, like my life depended on it, and I had every reason to believe that you would be there, every reason to believe that you would be there, you're not there for me, or you're not there with me, or whatever it is, that's a neglect trauma. So if you know that, you can just feel that also in your body and notice what that feels like. And um, the archetypal neglect trauma, of course, would be a, a infant. And if the infant calls, you know, the infant is hungry. And of course the world revolves around the infant and uh, no one is there. Um, they get upset, you know, it's like, I'm crying and I'm hungry, you ought to be coming, but no one shows up. And when no one shows up, you continue to cry. And then you might say, I'm going to what the next, pattern is we're going to talk about, which is a grudge. You might say they're violating my values. I mean, if you could articulate this, you know, when I'm hungry and I cry, they're supposed to come. So no one pays attention to me. And then of course you'd have to be, um, you might become pseudo independent, but very dependent. All kinds of things can happen there because you wouldn't count on people coming. Or you might shut down. I'm going to tell you something about the parents we're going to talk about today. Like you die inside, we call that dead parts. So a lot of things can happen from neglect. And when I say, you know, I gave you the archetypal example of it, um, it can be, it can show up in other ways too. Like uh, I know a story where a general was going into battle in another lifetime and all of the people or his troops had said, of course, we will be there with you. And when uh, he went into the battle, he turned around and nobody was there. And it turned out to be a neglect trauma. It's like, you know, when I needed you, like my life depended on it. And I had every reason to believe you were there. You weren't there with me. You weren't there for me. You didn't have my back. So that was a neglect trauma. So once again, I want to invite you to take a moment and to really let yourself notice what happens when you have a neglect trauma. Like I need you, notice what happens in the body and let yourself fully experience it and just bring your attention there and hold whoever that is. The tricky thing with a neglect trauma also, by the way, is it's a non-traumatic trauma. 
so to speak. It's not like someone did something. It's a trauma of neglect or, you know, a trauma of non-commission. It'd be like saying, you know, you traumatized me and the person says, yeah, I didn't do anything. And you say, that's the problem. You didn't do something, right? So it's not like someone hits you or kicks you or screams at you, which is something you can point to. It's the not doing that's in the neglect trauma. You were supposed to be there for me. You were supposed to pick me up and you didn't show up. That's a neglect trauma, right? So it is, uh, it's a trauma of omission, not a trauma of commission. It's active omission, but it's like what you didn't do. And of course, in a neglect trauma, all of these traumas you're gonna see and all these patterns that we're talking about are really in some way relational dynamics. Um, it's not like if you want to do something else, if you want to have it be an identity drama of some kind or an archetypal, you know, if you want to think about archetypes, you could say, well, I'm the neglected one or I'm the neglected or I'm whatever. But you'll notice here that there's a relational dynamic. You take in all sides of this. So if you've had a neglect trauma, you're likely to be neglected in life or you might be a neglector or whatever because we're playing out the whole relational dynamic. Um, so that's the next kind. The, the, the next one I want to deal with is grudge. And a grudge, we have a sense of a grudge. You know, a sense of a grudge is sort of like, well, you're not going to let me play. It's my ball. I'm going to take my ball and go home. So a grudge is about a violation of values, a real violation of values. But the problem in the grudge is the way you act guarantees that you will never ever, ever have what you wanted in the first place. Or to put it differently, I bring the basketball, but I'm a little kid. And, you know, the bigger kids take the, my basketball because they don't have one, but they don't let me play. So I say, great, I get my basketball back finally. And I say, I'm never going to go out and play again. But then, of course, you have a different problem, which is the way you act guarantees that you can't have a new experience because you're going to just keep acting and acting in a way that proves your point that no one will ever play with me. But of course, then you never reach out. So you, your action then guarantees the result. And so what I want you to do then is just notice what happens in the body when, you know, some, via, some <clears throat> value of yours is violated and you act in such a way that guarantees that it will continue to be violated. Feel what happens in the body. Um, um, I'll tell you one of my favorite stories about a grudge, which isn't even mine, but from one of my favorite teachers, a man named Dick Olney, who started something called self-acceptance training. And uh, if you want to read about Dick, uh, one of his students wrote a book called Walking in Beauty. He's, he was one of the original people who was both a shaman and a gestalt therapist. And he was just a very egoless, beautiful man. But he, would, he told a story of uh, a person who came into him who was constipated, literally constipated, uh, meaning that he had problems with his stomach, but also constipated in life. And uh, it turns out the story was that he was this man who's now in his 50s, as I recall, this is 
30 years ago, but I remember the story, at least mostly, was in the car with his father and he had to go to the bathroom and Dick says number one or number two and the man says number two, which of course would make sense if he was constipated, you know, physically and like, you know, he always like, would, you know, he would hold himself in and back. Right. So um, he needs to go to the bathroom. And uh, dad says, hold it, we'll be home soon. Because dad's rushing and not paying enough attention to his son. And they pass, you know, a gas station. And the boy apparently says, dad, I really need to go. And the dad says, hold it. And they pass another gas station. Apparently they pass three gas stations. And finally this boy, who I think is like, six in the story i don't remember five or six or something uh poops in his pants and then his father yells at him like couldn't you have held it till we got home or whatever and shamed him and so what he does is he uh pulls back in uh and like um really literally becomes constipated he had not sort of really remembered the story and sort of like you know, never stayed constipated energetically in his life also, you know, like, because, uh, of course, you wouldn't want to let anything out under those circumstances, literally or figuratively. So what do you do when uh, you have a grudge pattern? And what you do is you do anything at all you can to change the behavior because anything would be better in your imagination. And in your imagination, you can do whatever you want. So. Dick says, um, we don't quite do it this way, but it will give you the sense. He says, all right, on the count of three, I'm gonna have you, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna invite you to do something and just do it. So Dick goes one, two, three. And then he says, I want you to imagine that you're shitting all over your father and shitting and shitting and shitting on him until he's totally covered with shit. And apparently the man does this and then I don't know, I, I think this is my language for it, but he apparently gets a shit-eating grin on his face. Um, pardon the language if that is not language that works for you, but nonetheless, probably very apropos here. And apparently all of his constipation went away and all of his being constipated in life and not sort of going for anything, but having to keep himself pulled in also transformed in that moment, which I believe knowing Dick. Um, so this is the idea about a grudge. But, you know, the other thing about grudges is to say that um, couples often play out mutual grudge patterns. You know, it's really, it's one of the things that is the best way to create a divorce and hell, you know, because, you know, they bring their grudge patterns into uh, their marriages and then they project onto their spouse and put somebody else's head on the spouse's shoulders and play the whole thing out. And I remember this very vividly when I was first working with grudges um, because I had seen this couple, I'm gonna give you one side of this, but. The, the grudges are always interlocking, but this was when I was first working with grudges many, many years ago. And I remember this very vividly today. Um, and they came in because the husband had slapped the wife very hard 
and they were both, it was totally out of character for him. And they were both stunned and she was scared and they were both very large people. Um, but uh, so they came for therapy and we, first of all, made a contract around safety, but she didn't feel so unsafe, but she was feeling because they had been married for many years and nothing like this had ever happened before. But, you know, she was still feeling very anxious and he was feeling horrified. So we did this grudge pattern with him and uh, it's very moving. And you'll see, I mean, I'm just going to tell you one side of this one because I don't, I remember the other side of it vaguely, but not anywhere as powerfully as the one with the husband's side. So <laughs> um, what happened is that uh, he was an electrician. He was a very big sort of, uh, man's man kind of guy and uh, he had had to go out on workman's comp because he had fallen when he was doing some you know something and they had a baby and so she went out and worked while they were going through all of you know the whatever was going on around his disability stuff and everything she had to go and work they didn't have very much money and so he stayed at home taking care of the baby which was not what he was so good at but he was trying his best and she walks in one day and just gigglingly, or that's how she saw it, like, you know, sort of said, oh, that's a sort of stupid way to do that. But she was being playful. And he goes off and slugs her, which was stunning when she said that. Oh, that's a kind of stupid way to do the diapers. Let me show you. And he slugs her. Um, so I say to him, well, okay. If you could have had it be exactly what you wanted, what would have happened instead? And he said, you know, and he said, I, I just, I don't know why I was so reactive, but like all I wanted to do was say, you know, I see you're really trying and you're doing a good job. And uh, okay, so then I said, great. Now what we're gonna do is we're gonna drop your wife. And what I want you to do is notice what happens in the body when someone sort of you think is calling you stupid and uh, you think they're kind of laughing at you. And he goes into the body and he starts to cry and he's crying very hard. And he says, I know exactly what this is. I haven't thought about the scene in ages. He said, I'm like a 10 year old kid and my father's a workman and I'm trying to help him out. I have this enormous like shovel and I'm trying to move some gravel and I'm having a really hard time doing it. And I overhear him saying, look at my stupid kid. He can't even shovel. And he's bawling and his wife is incredulous because afterwards she said, I don't ever even remember him crying and you know, nothing like this. So then we say, well, what did you really want to have happen? And of course, it's the same thing. All he wanted was for his father to say, you know, I see you're struggling with this, but thank you so much for doing this. I know this isn't easy for you, but I know you're trying to do what you can, you know, under the circumstances. And I'm so, you know, appreciative and he wanted acknowledgement. So I say to the wife, look, we need you to stand in here and then we'll de-enroll you. But right now, you're gonna be the father and you're gonna give him exactly what he wants. And they play out the scene again. And she says exactly what he needs to hear and he's bawling and bawling. And then 
reaches out for a hug and they hug each other. And um, it was profoundly moving. I can remember this even from way back when. This is when I was, you know, just really starting to do the work I'm telling you about. It would have been like, you know, very early 90s, so 30 years ago. Um, but it was the first time I was trying to work with grudges and uh, and somatics, and it was deeply moving. So you can also, you know, if it's if it's a couple, it's a very powerful thing to enroll the other one uh, and to transform the original situation and then de-enroll them so they get to be, you know, partners again. So all of this to say that uh, uh, we're, we've talked about several patterns today. We've talked about splits and multiples and neglect trauma and grudges. And we're gonna stop for today. We'll go through these slowly. And what I would recommend you do, if any of these resonate for you, just let yourself feel the core of it, you know, I'm not all here, or a part of me is split off from another part of me, right? Or when I need you, like my life depended on it, and I had every reason to believe you'd be there for me. You weren't there for me, this trauma of omission, right? I wasn't, they weren't there. Or grudges, you know, that some value of yours is violated, and then you continue to act in such a way that uh, guarantees it or mutual grudges where they like a hand in a glove. If you're in a relationship, it so often happens that there are these interlocking stories of violations of values that have really nothing much to do with your partner. They just are here to help you heal. We just think we do it and we fall in love with people because we fall in love with them and we love them, but they also, we, you know, who do we do our deepest work with? It's the people who are closest to us. So having said all that, we're about done for our time today. And I wish you well. And if you want to reach us, of course, uh, our website is lifecenteredtherapy.com. And if you want to reach me, uh, and please do, I so appreciate people who have been writing to me and giving reflections and comments and what's touched them or what they'd like to hear about. I will respond or I'll talk about it on the, the show. So if you want to reach me, it's a Han. So it's a H A H N at lifecenteredtherapy.com. And until our next time, where we will continue our journey on these patterns. I wish you a great day and great healing and great growth. Goodbye.